Welcome to the Caitlin Hansen Show. Joining me today is Kelsey Chase, founder and president of Omni. Let's start by walking, having you walk us through what you guys do at Omni. Yeah, um, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to speak with you today. So Omni is a data analytics and infrastructure platform for private capital markets. And what makes us unique and that we can, we can touch on um, in my background is that we source all of our data from underlying legal agreements. So it's a unique approach to understanding um, investments and private capital and venture capital. Uh, but we source all of our data from legal agreements. We structure, validate, analyze that data, and then we create products to allow investors and other stakeholders in the ecosystem con to consume it. Let's talk about that a little bit and kind of rewind because you come from a corporate lawyer world and you transferred into this obviously startup about four years ago is when Omni began, right? Yeah, that's right. So how did you come up with this idea from the world that you were working in? So I, I think what's unique about my entrepreneurial journey is that I, I started, I kind of cut my teeth as a professional lawyer. So started my career as a deal lawyer, worked at uh, Wilson Sonsini, which is a large uh, traditionally, West Coast Tech, one of the top tech law firms, but they just recently announced an office out here, actually, which is pretty interesting. So worked at uh, Wilson Sonsini and then also DLA Piper, which is one of the largest firms in the world, and um, spent a lot of you know a lot of my time there representing startups and investors and doing tons and tons of venture capital financings and and all and private offerings. So as the deal lawyer, you are in the thick of the contracts and the negotiations between investors and companies. And it was really through that experience that I, um, along with my co-founder, Tony, who's also a corporate attorney, and he came from Latham and Watkins and Wilson Sonsini, which is where he and I met. But much of what we do today was, was definitely inspired by our experience as deal lawyers. So it's the, the thousands and hundreds of hours that we spent in deal documents trying to understand how these transactions are, are structured and how they come together, how they're negotiated, what are the key points that investors and companies care about. And it was a lot of our uh, learnings as, as attorneys, but also honestly the frustrations we had as attorneys mm -hmm. too, that just inspired us to come out and and scratch an itch that we had to solve you know solve problems and bring data into the world that we knew as lawyers. Well, I think that's definitely how a lot, if not most, companies are started. If someone sees a problem and thinks, "I need to solve for this," and I want to do that, but coming from a corporate world, you know, we both come from a professional background, right? Journalism and law. And it's like, how do you transfer into the startup world? For a lot of people, that's a big jump to leave something that feels secure and you have an education in to go into a world where you're like, well, I better learn fast and drink from a fire hose. Can you tell us about that process for you? Yeah, it was. So the you're right. I had um, I was working at large law firms at a very good, stable career path. Uh, and, and it looked, looked really promising. And, um, but for me, I think it was more of a sort of an introspective exercise about, was I happy? Um, is this what I saw myself doing? And I think when Tony and I really started talking about problems and opportunities that we had seen as lawyers, and it was, I think for both of us, a really good point in our life where we were both fairly young, young, I did not have kids at the time, but Tony had, I think his first, his first young child we, we just had sort of the right risk profile to leave the state and, and I should say <laughs> supporting spouses to allow us to jump out and leave the the stable uh, good career to go do a startup that at the time I mean it was you know very early completely different compensation than what we had knew as lawyers and it was a big leap of faith to go out and do mm -hmm. that and it's uh, in some ways easy to look at what we've done now four years later and, and look at the different points of success we've had but 
I think with any startup, it, it hasn't always been like that. I mean, it's certainly been a roller coaster and we've had our ups and downs, but I think Tony and I are just entrepreneurial at, at heart and we got really excited about uh, this idea and we're able to convince a few early investors to, to allow us to leave our day jobs to go focus on it. That's really exciting. So obviously you guys are successful now, but can you share some moments along that journey when you took that leap and you and Tony started to build this together? Maybe some lessons or experiences where you're like, wow, that was big. I wish I could have gone back or do this differently or something you could teach someone listening today. I think the, and I'll steal, this is a, a, a line that Tony uses all the time. And, and one of the things we were talking about before the interview was, I think Omni really tries to foster an entrepreneurial culture. And so it's parts of, of technology in Silicon Valley that we had, we knew as dealers working um, in those markets that there, there really is an entrepreneurial culture there. And I think we try to foster a lot of that with Omni and that we're not shy to the fact that many, I, and hopeful that many of our employees will actually come up with good ideas, maybe go start companies, become investors. And, and I think we really try to, to, to foster that. So for, for Tony and I, I think in the line that he always uses is there's no better time to be in the arena than now. So if you're entrepreneurial, you have ideas, the best time to act on those is, is now it's not tomorrow. And I think we, we try to really foster that among our employees. And, and it's just been a, a bit of a mantra for how we think about our opportunities. And it, I think it creates a really innovative and creative culture too. The environment right now is amazing for people jumping into the entrepreneur world, right? There's a lot of support, especially here in Silicon Slopes, obviously a lot of community to help back people that are willing to grow their businesses like you who are you know hoping to set the new generation of people to do that. You're actually hiring a lot of people right now. And I think it's really cool. You say you want to give back to the community and raise up these employees to have this experience now and then go on to help Utah's tech community. Talk a little to that and why that's so important to you guys. I think there's a, a bit of a recipe for a successful tech ecosystem and it's, it's um, there have to be some good early success stories and Utah mm -hmm. definitely has that with a few large companies that date back 10, 20 years. And I think there, there also has to be availability of capital, um, entrepreneurs that turn a lot of their expertise and wealth back into the ecosystem as angels. And you see a lot of that here in Utah. And so, and then also I think um, the, the reality of a startup, and if you are pitching to, I think even VCs in Utah, but certainly outside of Utah on the coasts, if you're an entrepreneur and you have an idea around technology and you wanna to pitch to a venture capital, that's part of your a venture capital firm and that's part of your plan, you need to pitch a very large business. And to do that in 2021 requires a lot of capital. And so thinking about how you would structure your, you know, your business and be able to raise capital here in Utah, but ultimately extend your network of availability to get capital is, is definitely important to the plan. So one, a couple of things, um, it's, it's never been easier to raise capital, just be in, in a lot of ways, the pandemic has changed just the format of pitching and raising capital. It's not, a day or two day trip to Menlo Park, knocking on doors and pitching VCs in person. Um, you can do that all remotely now. And so we, we hear part of our business is we, uh, we sell a product to venture capital firms. We have over 200 institutions that use our products. I'm constantly talking to VCs and what they say is they can, they can now hear, you know, I'm exaggerating, but 10 pitches a day over zoom. Whereas before it was, it was just a lot less and more, mm -hmm. there were more, um, limitations to what you could actually do as, as an investor. So I think just the format and the avail availability to go and raise capital has changed a lot in the past couple of years. 
I think that's so interesting because I've actually heard both sides of that where some people are feeling like without being in person, without that human connection, their pitching is not as successful as they want or they're feeling like they're not having that kind of interaction. But it sounds like it's also easier because you can pitch more places more efficiently. Do you have any opinions about that and not having that in-person connection? Yeah, I think key to just speaking to mine and Tony's journey, I think key to our fundraising success before our Series B, which we just announced last summer, um, the the key to that success was the in-person relationships that we Mm -hmm. had. Angel investors, seed funds, these were all people that we had met and developed relationships with. And so going into a new financing event in a COVID environment, we we definitely had reservations about like, how do we actually pull this off without meeting these people? Mm-hmm. Like part of our secret sauce is we get to meet people in person and and they really buy into supporting us as founders because of that that type of an interaction. And so I think probably like a lot of companies, there was just some some questions about how you do that and how you do it really well. And I would say uh, we we certainly reached more firms than we probably could have in a historical environment because we did right. it all over zoom and it was there were there were aspects about raising capital that were just a lot different so um for us it it it, it worked out really well and it allowed us to speak to more investors get more perspective and as you do your pitch over and over you refine it so i think in a lot of ways it it allowed us to put the round together that we ended up doing that's exciting and you just wrapped up your series b tell me a little bit of that this is exciting yeah, so we're, we're really thrilled. In August, we closed our Series B. It was led by J.P. Morgan uh, and Pelion locally, and it was a $52.5 million round. Uh, in addition to, to those groups, we brought in a, a lot of really amazing investment firms and had participation from some other groups like Kickstart and Prelude, um, Sepio and Swell, uh, Cara Capital. So some local groups came into the round, which was really amazing. But as Omni is expanding its footprint in our data analytics platform into... Uh, beyond venture capital. So we'll be expanding into the institutional limited partner world, the largest asset management firms and allocators out there. We're developing an analytics suite for them. We brought in some pretty important strategic institutions that buy into that that vision and journey. So some groups uh, like Invesco, which is a $1.3 trillion asset management firm, as well as, as an endowment and just other groups that are really keen on seeing data and transparency brought to this this private capital world. So the round itself, I mean, phenomenal, incredible outcome for the company. Uh, we, in addition to the capital that we brought on, we we did really add some incredible people to our board of directors. So J.P. Morgan, largest institution in the world, uh, joined our board. Uh, Blake from Pelion came on, and then we brought on two independent directors, Louis Citrone, who is the chief legal officer of of NEA, one of the the oldest and largest venture capital firms in the world. And uh, Ellen Levi, who was a she was a head of corporate development and strategy at LinkedIn, experienced board member and investor, incredible individual, but just has an understanding and appreciation for data, um, and was key to I think LinkedIn's you know success and ultimately from becoming a networking platform to really a data company. And so it's just for us the the capital has been great because we have the availability and the ability to do a lot of hiring and grow our team, invest in the product. But I think it's it's also the the people that we brought on that was was really an accomplishment for us. That's really exciting. Congratulations, first of all. I also want to dive into a little bit about what goes on in your world, because obviously as a founder, your focus changes throughout the life of a company and where you started with Tony, you know, when you left law to today, four years later. I'm curious what you spend your day to day focus on primarily. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I, I'm always curious to, to hear 
just how other founding teams think about this. And Tony and I have a very good symbiotic dynamic. I think uh, he supports me where I'm weak and, and vice versa. And so I think over the four years, we've just had a phenomenal founding relationship and how we've divvied up responsibilities has, has changed. I think we're, we're a very dynamic, iterative company that thinks pretty in a pretty agile way. So we're always trying to understand new problems and have the best information to make decisions. So, um, but as it relates to today where I am spending most of my time is around the new product and analytics that we're building for institutions. So if you think about just at a high level, how private capital markets work, you have sort of the largest sources of wealth at the very top of the chain, um, pension funds, endowments, um, asset management firms, insurance, insurance funds, 401k plans, individuals, families, uh, high net worth individuals. And the, that source of wealth is what funds the venture capital and private equity, equity funds. So uh, funds are raising capital from these large institutions, and then they deploy it into companies like Omni. So for Omni, we've analyzed the relationship between the fund and the company. That's where our analytics platform focuses today. But there's a really similar opportunity in, in, a, in a comparable paradigm with the relationship between allocators and funds. So in Pelion or Album, they're out there raising funds. They're raising it from these large institutions. And the way they do that is also... A situation that's that's really lacking in, in in need of a lot of data and transparency. So for me, I'm I'm very I'm leading sort of the go to market charge on that new product, speaking with ten to thirty LPs a week, which is a lot of fun, mm -hmm. and it's it's also interesting because you get their perspective on the world, which is you know tends to be different and and nuanced from how VCs are thinking about the world. So it's a really exciting part of the business because it's a new product line, but it's also tapping into I think one of the one of the most interesting parts of the ecosystem, which is all of the source of, of capital and wealth. That is really exciting. If you are looking forward for both Omni and the private capital market, what do you envision and hope for that you guys can do to make an impact into that world? So what's our core mission is in bringing the data analytics and infrastructure to these private markets. So the way that capital flows today is almost entirely lacking of data in, in every sense of the word. And so what we want to do is lay that infrastructure of information and data to flow. And um, it, it's everything from allocators investing into funds, funds investing into companies. But what we also are, are tracking very closely is just the, the growing liquidity opportunities in private markets. So one of the, the old, um, the, the historic parts of venture capital startup private markets is it's an illiquid market. You invest in Omni Series B, historically, you're going to sit on that security for 10 years until mm -hmm. we go public or there's some exit event. And what we what we are following very closely is there is liquidity coming to these private markets. It's already here, but the ability and, and really the, the old paradigm of investing in a company and it's going to be a long journey, the security's illiquid and you've got to wait for this big you know, champagne pop at the end when we go public. Uh, there are definitely changes and and innovations happening around the ability to bring liquidity. So we see that and and that opportunity hits it hit hits entrepreneurs. It means entrepreneurs can experience liquidity before going public. It means investors can. And the traditional ten year cycle of a VC fund, for example, which is how they're they're um, most of them are set up. We do see funds entertaining liquidity before you know before a longer. Uh, timeline than what they had been planning for. I think it's also relevant for employees too. Uh, one of the, I think one of the challenges for any 
say any engineer joining a startup is if I'm joining at the series a, the company's been around for a few years. I think you historically you really have to get comfortable with the equity that you're taking from, from the company. There's a lot of sweat, sweat equity going into that, but it's potentially going to be a very long time before you experience any liquidity from, from that stock that you're getting. And certainly what we're following is the future of private markets will look a lot different. There will be availability for employees to get liquidity along the way as a company is becoming a unicorn and going from a $200 million company to a billion dollar to a $10 billion company. All of this is happening before the company is going public and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really fascinating, I think, to follow. And then what sort of sits around this whole opportunity are the large financial institutions and investors that want to bring services and financial products to that, um, that growing market. Very cool. Um, one final question I want to ask you, why Utah? Yeah, it's, uh, so the, the first thing I'll say about that is before Tony and I moved here, we had no real connections to the state. Uh, I vacationed out here and Tony had a friend that was from Salt Lake. And, uh, at, at the time the company was about a year and a half old, really starting to hit some traction, had just raised a seed round and Tony and I both had young families and we were thinking a lot about Hey, we're onto a good opportunity here. We're seeing some really good signs that this could be this could be big. It's time to to co headquarter the company and, and uh, actually start to dig in on this and work on it together. And Tony was in Northern California, and I was in Southern California at the time. So um, interestingly, the company started distributed, which is now paying some dividends because we have some foundational parts of our culture that have always been set up to support a distributed workforce. But yeah, at the time we were looking at the Bay Area, we were looking at Southern California. And started to just uh, really think outside of the box, which I think when you when you get to know Tony and I, we're we're we, one of the things we do is is we do present extreme hypotheticals, and it's one of the things you're trained to do as a lawyer is you present mm-hmm. extreme hypotheticals, and you never know where the analysis is going to take you. But we looked at some at the time some some non-standard markets that would be really good places to both raise a family, but also grow a company and have access to capital and and have a lot of fun doing it. So. It's pretty innocent in the way that we arrived at Utah, but when we actually looked at Salt Lake compared to the Bay Area and some other ecosystems, it was it was really clear and obvious that on all the key things you could score uh, a market on, um, I think just Utah wins in in so many categories. So it was we did look at other markets, but I think very quickly Salt Lake just emerged as the great place to grow a company and also raise a young family. Awesome. Well, and have a lot of fun doing yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm happy here. I was hoping that your answer was going to be because of the snow and skiing. Well, that's what Tony would say. I, okay. Oh, good. Maybe I, I need to meet Tony. <laughs> I uh, I took up skiing um, moving out here. But yeah, certainly that was part of it. Tony and I are both very active outdoors people. And we wanted to have, and part of our employee culture is focused on health. So we have just, uh, it's inherently attracted a very active, healthy workforce. But I mean, you have just incredible skiing, mountain biking, whatever you're Whatever your passion is, there's lots of that available here. It's definitely a good place to be both for business and for pleasure. So glad you guys are here. Kelsey, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. That's all for today. Signing off, I'm Caitlin Hansen. We'll see you next time. 